The month of June is known for more daylight hours, marriages and tennis tournaments, but it's also known for big Supreme Court decisions. And this June will be no different with important cases coming up on pro-life and religious freedom issues. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, Victoria, I know summertime for your family involves fun sports for kids, and that comes with some coaching opportunities for parents. I really love that precious picture on Facebook of your husband having a heart-to-heart, uh, what looked like coaching moment with your son during a baseball game. Yes, he is a great coach, and he does. He gets down to their level and does have those. Daniel tends to overreact when he doesn't play well, and it was sort of a, a literal pick-your-chin-up sort of moment. Um, but he also just has great little things that he does. I was laughing because I kept hearing these kids talk about snow cones and coach buying them snow cones. And it was if they got hit by the ball and I couldn't understand what this was. And it was because the kids were so backing away from the pitch that he was trying to incentivize them to stay in the batter's box. And if they happened to get hit, he would give them a snow cone. But that was the deal to get them to not step away from the ball. Well, did it work? I, apparently, there's a whole slew of them getting snow cones at tomorrow's games. Well, what about being a mom and being a coach? Do you have any opportunities with your daughters to do this? Yeah, I, I mean, I played softball three teams a year. I was all into it. Could not wait till my children were playing the game. My oldest daughter quickly was uninterested. And then my next daughter, Emma, comes, and I'm all excited to coach. And honest to goodness, you just need to set your expectations well. Here I think I'm going to transfer some great skill. And when they're young, it's really about, hey, you got to tie your shoe. And yes, you need to bring your glove out to the field when you go. And hey, can you stop picking dandelions out there in the outfield? There's a ball coming at your face. It's um, it's a different experience than I envisioned. And unfortunately, neither of my kids, the girls, have stuck with the, with the softball. All right, well, to dive right into today's topic, we really want to highlight some significant cases at the Supreme Court level right now and how those can impact our lives and the nation as a whole. But before we get into that, help us understand how the Supreme Court works and the timing of all this. Yeah, I mean, a case at the Supreme Court is almost a year-long process. You petition the court to take the case. Then you wait and you hear, oh, they're going to take the case. Then they argue it several months later. And then several months after that, you actually get a decision. And so, and there's sort of a fall session and a spring session. And so it's just, it's a long process. Well, today we're going to be talking about cases in several different stages. Um, So we're going to talk about some that the Supreme Court recently picked to hear, although the decision may not be coming out for quite a while. We're also going to talk about some cases that are coming down this June that they're actually going to have a decision on. So we're going to start with a big one having to do with the abortion issue. And a lot of people are talking about this, and it's Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. Tell us about that case. Yeah, this is a case out of Mississippi, and it is about a state's right to set abortion policy. And what Mississippi did is they said, we're not going to have abortion after 15 weeks, except for a few exceptions, fetal abnormality, things that would be the unusual cases. But it's not going to be something that we find acceptable on a, on a whole. And unfortunately, that was struck down at a lower court. And so the state is saying to the U.S. Supreme Court, we have got to allow a state to set these parameters because they have an interest in abortion. Obviously, have an interest in the next generation. So the biggest thing is they're going to basically challenge what has been kind of precedent about that a state really only is allowed to deal with abortion in and around the issue of viability, when a child can actually be born 
and stay alive, you know? Mm -hmm. So at a certain point, it's hard to keep children alive if they are out of the womb. But but this viability standard is really not the only interest of a state. And that's what Mississippi's trying to say. They're trying to say it actually matters that these abortions are more risky. So women's health matters. You know, the later the, the abortion, the more risky it is to her. Mm -hmm. They also care that the unborn children at a certain point feel pain. So they're saying we have other interests besides just viability and the court should allow us to uphold our own state's decision about that. Okay, so if they get into this viability issue, could that weaken or even overturn Roe v. Wade? What do you what could happen with that? Oh, I think it certainly has impact on the overall situation of just this idea that states get to set their own policy, which was at, what's at issue at Roe. Roe mm -hmm. is really about saying we're gonna set a standard and the whole nation has to follow it, or saying what we hope will happen is overturning Roe, which says abortion policy goes back to the state. And so it is a real chip if no longer that that idea that it's all about viability if that gets chipped away we're gonna see and I think furthermore what it does is it builds momentum for all these laws that are happening in other states like the heartbeat law where they say once a child has a heartbeat we're not gonna have abortion anymore so it's a big case and we are seeing that the majority of the public does want some limits on abortion right they, they don't want a free-for-all you know killing right up to uh, write even bef just before birth or even after. Oh yeah, no question. We actually saw a poll that was NPR, so you know we're not talking these you know conservative sources that says seventy percent say we're done at twelve weeks or whatever it might be right there around that point. We don't need to have abortion, and this is consistent. We have to remember with what most of the world does. There's only about seven countries in the world that allow late term abortion and their countries we don't really want to be compared to north korea vietnam wow. this is not exactly like you know europe this is it is an extreme practice only allowed in extreme countries all right well this is a big enough deal that it's gotten response from our uh, president biden's administration and our virginia leaders what do you think about what they were saying <laughs> yeah i mean they're basically gonna say you know we're gonna we're gonna hold that standard no matter what the court does and how dare the court even consider this you know mark herring certainly Double down on so our you know, attorney general. Our attorney general said, you know, we're going to basically, you know, ensure in Virginia. But honestly, it's important um, that we get this case, that the court makes a great ruling on this, and that will allow our legislature to have the full weight of their authority to set laws around this issue. Well, how do you think it will impact us here in Virginia if there's a good decision out of this? Because I know we've been. Unfortunately, liberals in the state have been strengthening abortion here, trying to make it more taxpayer funded. So even if we get a good decision out of this, is that is that going to help us, you know, us here in Virginia protect life more? Oh, I think it definitely does. Yes, we've had extreme policies of late, but when the Supreme Court comes in and says, yes, it's reasonable to ban abortion after 15 weeks, it just reminds the actual majority of Virginians that believe in that, that yes, that, mm. that, that you've got a court saying, yeah, your, your view is correct. And the legislature in Virginia it has actually been out of step with where the bulk of Virginians yeah. are. So I think it does help. Thanks for tuning in if you're just now joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. For more information about us or the topics we're addressing, you can visit familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. All right, well, there's another religious freedom case that we should be paying close attention to. Tell us about this one. 
Yeah, now this one's hot. This one is a decision coming down this month. So we are waiting with eager anticipation, but it's a case called Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia, and it's going to have huge impact on religious freedom across the nation. And we actually joined an amicus brief on this because we believe it's so important that we put pressure on the court to do the right thing. That's kind of what that is. And so, and mostly we joined because it's been a big issue here in Virginia. So what it's about is about whether Christian and Catholic adoption agencies have the right to continue to interact with social services and provide places, homes for children, regardless of the fact that they have these deeply held convictions. So they want to place children in homes that they believe are the best fit for the child. And for them, that's a home with a mom and a dad. Yeah, because the church obviously teaches traditional Judeo-Christian teaching that marriage, you know, we should honor marriage between a man and a woman. So obviously, a Catholic agency is not going to want to place kids in, in arrangements outside of that, whether it's unmarried couples, like they're just living together, or same-sex couples. But here you have the city trying to force them to violate their deeply held religious beliefs. Yeah, it's ironic that the city claims that this is all about fighting discrimination, and yet they're the ones that are going to be discriminating against particularly Catholic families who just want to help kids. Yeah, and that's exactly what's so maddening about this case. My understanding is that right after the city er issued an urgent call for more foster care parents, then they turned around and cut ties with this Catholic foster care agency, which was working with at least 100 foster care families. And then also, uh, I understand that there were actually no same-sex couples that even asked to be approved or certified by this agency. So, you know, what's the real agenda here? It's like they're making an issue where there wasn't one. Well, that's the thing. We keep seeing this time and again where there's not an actual issue. They create an issue because we gotta, we've got to remember that the existence of people who believe that that is not the best thing for a child threaten just the entire uh, LGBT agenda. You know, the idea that there are people out here who have strongly held beliefs that marriage needs to be between a mom and dad, that's what's offensive. So it's not that there's actually a problem here. They're going in and targeting. And that's what we saw in our General Assembly. We have no problem here in Virginia, but they kept trying to pass a bill over and over again, and we are very fortunate we've held held it at, at bay each year. But the concept isn't that there's a problem. It's that just their existence is bad for the universe. I, it's, it's tragic. Yeah, and the result of that is that we would be excising Christian and Catholic organizations from participating in the public square with charitable services, which doesn't help anyone. And we have to remember, it was the church that started adoption and foster care mm -hmm. long before the government ever entered the picture. The church was caring for widows and orphans like it's supposed to in scripture. And then the government steps in. And so it's a partnership now, but they're trying to eliminate the partner that started it all. Well, there's one other case we wanted to quickly touch on. And this one deals with whether a state can require nonprofit organizations to disclose information about major donors. Yeah, this case is, is Thomas More Law Center versus Bonta. And what it is, is it's, it's, it's getting at the heart of cancel culture because it's really about donor disclosure. And that sounds like such a technical thing and an, un, an interesting topic. But what they're saying is we want to make public in California, this is what the issue was, we want to make public donors to certain organizations. Well, why do they want them public? They want them public because if you you contribute to some conservative organization, they want to be able to cancel you. They want you fired from your job for giving to a traditional marriage supporting organization or something like that. And so it's a big deal because the agenda behind it is really, really harmful to those of us that have uh, religious beliefs and, and give to organizations that further those missions. Absolutely. And we've already seen those intimidation tactics playing out in California. I mean, they've had these names leaked 
or even just put on the internet where people can go after them and hack them. I mean, I remember on the marriage issue that people were going after even just not even a donation. I think they just signed a pledge. They're going after people that signed that specifically. So this, this is a real issue that will impact Christians in many states. Yeah, giving should be between you and the organization you're giving to. It doesn't need to be for the entire world to survey what you do and don't do with your charitable dollars. Well, it's that time again, time for our Inconceivable Moments Award, where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when our cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! Well, since we talked about a case dealing with important life issues today, I just have to bring up this whole discussion with Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, because his outrageous statements really expose where we end up as a society when we start measuring people's worth based solely on their productivity, their external output, as opposed to their God-given inherent value. Yeah, this all started years back when Richard Dawkins responded to a woman's question on Twitter about whether it was ethical to abort a baby because of Down syndrome. And his response was absolutely chilling. He said, Abort it and try again. It would be immoral to bring it into the world if you have the choice. Wow, that is just, it is stunning when you think about what that really means. But he did have the chance to redeem himself the other day during an interview with a radio host whose name is Brendan O'Connor, who happens to be the father of a Down syndrome child. Now, I got to tell you, Dawkins pretty much got schooled by this dad who challenged him on what his logical reasoning was for saying it's immoral not to abort these babies. Let's just listen into a bit of that. Do you think it would be immoral for them not to do it? Let's leave out the let's leave out the immoral. No, I but you brought be, immoral into it. Okay, well I, I take that back. Okay. I think it would be wise. I think it would be wise and sensible. You know, children who are so-called perfect can cause terrible suffering in the world as well. But I suppose we have no way of checking, have we? Uh, no, of course. Yeah. Wow, that is so powerful. I'm so proud of that, Dad, because it just makes the point, the idea that we can judge someone in the womb and make a life or death decision, and yet we know that there are many people in the world that have other struggles. I'm I'm proud of him for doing that. Yeah, see, he just, that shows the power of just asking the right questions. Yeah, letting someone try to answer. Well, I guess that means this week's Inconceivable Award goes to Richard Dawkins for making this completely selfish argument that the worth of babies is determined entirely by how much happiness they bring to the rest of us. For sure. Well, it's time to wrap things up. And just to remind everyone, after we're done compiling these Inconceivable Awards, we're going to put them in a top 50 list that you can download. So if you want to participate in this process, be sure to send in your nominations to speakupradio at familyfoundation.org. That's speakupradio at familyfoundation.org. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget we are stronger when we speak together.